And it is our prayer, and I hope that you also know why we sing, that you experience the reality that certainly a baby was born, not just any baby, the Savior, God, come into the world. My name is Marty. I get to be the pastor here, and this morning we're looking at a man called Joseph. I'm a preacher's kid. I have a twin brother. We were always in the Christmas plays. Do you guys remember the old-fashioned Christmas plays when you'd bring all the kids up on the platform? Mark and I always competed for the role of Joseph. Do you know why? Joseph has no lines. None. The shepherds talk. The wise men talk. The angels talk and sing. Joseph, not a single line. It's very interesting to us that uh, in Scripture, we don't have a record, nothing to quote from what Joseph said. He's kind of like an extra, kind of a minor character that gets credit in the cast of characters, but no one's ever considered him really a central or significant part of the story of Christmas. He doesn't say anything. He's silent, but he is certainly obedient, and it shouldn't be that way with Joseph for us. As a matter of fact, we're going to take today, and we're going to examine this young Jewish man and the role God had for him, and our goal, I want you to understand that we have much to learn from him, from his example, even though we don't have his sermons or discourses or any even a conversation or quote from him, we have much to learn from him, and I pray that God will take the truth of his scripture and apply it to our hearts today. Joseph is a significant part of this story. Uh, there was Emerson who said, what you do speak so loudly, I can't hear what you say. We have just the opposite with Joseph. Joseph, what he did speaks so loudly that it wasn't necessary for him to say anything. He is remarkably simple in his obedience, but he is simply remarkable in what he was willing to do by hanging everything in, a immediate, obe in a immediate obedience on a word from God, which on the surface seemed absurd. Joseph really is, get this, he is remarkably simple, and yet in his simplicity, Simply remarkable. So a few things we know about Joseph. Most of us you're familiar with, we've read some of them just now. He was a descendant of David. The uh, Gospel of Matthew begins the first 17 verses, making sure we know his lineage, his history. And so he was a descendant of David. We also know that he was a carpenter in Matthew 13, 35, when Jesus came back to Nazareth to preach and to teach. They looked at him and said, well, isn't, it, isn't this Joseph? Isn't this the carpenter's son? We know that he was a carpenter, and most of us think, of course, building with wood and tools. I will tell you that the word carpenter here is tecton. It's the root word for tectonic, like tectonic plates. It has to do with stones and construction, but it's also a builder. He was probably a mason, he, not Masonic. He was probably a, a, a stone mason or a brick mason. Now he, a lot of the construction in that day, or even the wood that was shipped in that w they would use for framing, for building. He was certainly a builder. And there's a whole lot we could go into here. Next to Nazareth, just less than 14 miles away, was this booming city called Sephoris. It's not mentioned in Scripture, but it's mentioned in extra-biblical writings. Architects, uh, architects, archaeologists have dug it up. And they discovered that it was a booming city, and there are these massive rock quarries there. A lot of stone came from that area. So he was a carpenter or a stone basin. It's better to say that he was a builder. We know that he was engaged, and it was a binding contract. We talked about that last week when we looked at the life of Mary, that he was betrothed to Mary. And we know, of course, that he discovered 
that before they came together as husband and wife, before they had any physical relationship at all, Mary was pregnant. Don't you imagine that this devout Jewish man, this young man who was looking forward to building his home and looking forward to establishing his family, this young man who we'll see has a pattern of consistent righteousness, discovers that his fiancée, that this young woman that he is betrothed to, that is all of a sudden with child, what would you think? As a matter of fact, what would be the case? In every other circumstance, in every other situation, she would be unfaithful. We know now, again, we talked briefly last week, girls married as young as 13 or 14 years old, boys typically older, working to prepare a home. Joseph was probably late teens, early 20s. And so Joseph didn't know, just when he found out she was pregnant, didn't know that this was God's son yet, except through the explanation of Mary. And that would be pretty hard to believe, I think. Scripture says in Matthew chapter 1, 19, in our description, and Joseph was a just man. Her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. It's interesting, I think, that you recognize the word just there and the word righteousness. It's the same word. He had a habit or pattern of his life of being obedient to what God had revealed to him. But this situation creates a problem because of his righteousness. He's got a moral problem. Here I am engaged. Here's my fiance. She's pregnant. And either there's no explanation or the explanation is so wild I can't believe it. And so being just, being one who follows the law, I have to put her away, I have to divorce her, I have to break this betrothal. And, of course, the pattern of the day was not to stone them, but it was to call them out. It would be the equivalent today of posting something on Facebook or doing several Instagram posts. Can you believe what happened to me? Can you believe in shaming her or uh, TikTok vids or whatever? It would, it would, publishing that his heart was broken, his plans were messed up because of what had taken place. And yet... Before he even knows what's going on, he was unwilling to put her to shame. You see, there's a component of justice, of doing what's right. There's also a component of mercy, a component of doing what's right not for me, but what's right in the best interest of someone else. And so we don't have in the text any indication that Joseph is angry. We don't have any text that he is bitter or resentful. What we have is he considered these things. Now, I started to call this sermon. I've preached on Joseph before. I called that sermon, Joseph, the man with get up and go. I, I kind of like that because every time God tells him something, he gets up and does it. Joseph got up and went. He got up and went. He got up and went. So it's always a big deal. But we here have Joseph not hesitating really, but considering. He was considering what to do. He resolved to divorce her quietly, considered these things, and he determined to put her away privately, to, to not shame her. Which brings us really to our first point. Joseph, a pivotal player in the story, both by the testimony of Scripture and by the description of his, ta uh, of, of his behavior in Scripture, was consistently obedient. He was consistently obedient. And so... Again, you can put this in the form of a verb or adjective, or you can put it in the form of an adverb. 
consistently. I'll have L-Y at the end of these words. But he was, he had established a lifetime of obedience. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth, like Mary herself, we find this silent player to be one who in the day-to-day was faithful to God. Verse 20 says he was considering these things. Now, don't get the, when the angel came and spoke to him, now, don't miss the significance of this. We just are completing an Old Testament survey class in one of our adult Sunday school classes. We've been all the way from Genesis to Malachi in 12 short weeks. Pretty good, huh? I will tell you, we've kind of skimmed across the top. Last week, we just came and had the opportunity to just briefly point out Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament that we have recorded. Chronologically, it's probably the last one. Malachi was a prophet that God spoke through to Israel. This was after David and Solomon and after the kingdom split. This was after their disobedience and rebellion. This was after the Assyrians had conquered the northern kingdom. This was after the Babylonians had conquered the southern kingdom and the 70 years of exile. This is after they were set free and given permission to return by Cyrus and uh, Zerubbabel and Ezra went back and rebuilt the temple. This was after Nehemiah then goes back and leads the people in rebuilding the wall And they're there in this period of time where they've been given permission to come back. And they've been, but they're being disobedient. Malachi preaches to them. But one of the things that his prophecy ends with is that the, the word of the Lord is going to come again. It's going to come to a messenger who comes out of the wilderness, a messenger who prepares the way of the Lord. And from that point, for the next 400 years... No prophet sent by God to Israel. 400 years. No miraculous divine intervention that rises to the level of God's interaction with his people up until that point. 400 years. A period of silence until God breaks his silence. Until God sends an angel to speak to Zechariah in the temple and tell him that he and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. And remember that story, by the way, because Zechariah talked back to the angel. That takes some courage or demonstrates a noticeable lack of intelligence. I'm not sure which. The angel then comes to Mary. Gabriel talks to her. God again speaking, sending his messenger, breaking through in history with news, amazing news. And now the angel comes and he speaks to Joseph. Don't miss the significance of the angel coming to Joseph. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do not fear. I always thought that was kind of fun. What did Joseph have to be afraid of? And the same things that you and I had to be afraid of. In a situation, in a circumstance like that, don't be afraid of what you don't understand. Does God ever change your plans? God ever redirected your path? God ever put something in your way or changed something for you and you don't know what's going to happen, but there is a vision or there is a calling or there is a message or there is an instruction and the uncertainty can lead to fear? Don't be afraid when you don't understand. Don't be afraid. Don't don't be afraid what people are going to say about you. Don't be afraid that you're going to go ahead and marry this girl that you're betrothed to, and she is already great with child, 
And whatever the angel has told you, you can tell other people. But how many of them you think are going to believe it? It's an unrealistic story. Don't be afraid of the gossip. Don't be afraid of the shame. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the impact this is going to have on your plans to have a wife and children and build a good life. Don't be afraid. Fear always provides a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And by the way, there's something else about don't be afraid when we're not certain. You can always be sure that God is certain, okay? Matter of fact, we see repeatedly Proverbs well, we see repeatedly throughout this, next in verse 22 of chapter 1, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He was consistently obedient, but God already knew from the, the end, from the beginning. He already knew it was going to be happening. God always is working out his plan. So here's my question for us. Are we as consistently obedient do we have a lifestyle of righteousness that Joseph did? We'll get further than that in just a moment, Lord willing. But when, when you learn what God instructs you to think or believe or do, are you trusting God and obeying? Joseph did. Verse 24 of chapter 1 says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. What did he do? Having abstained from physical relations, he went ahead and took Mary as his wife. Now, it's not simply a betrothal. Now it is a husband-wife relationship. And yet, she's with child. He, restrained, restrained, he does not engage in physical relationships with her until the child is born. And he calls his name Jesus. It's a big deal. He was consistently obedient, but he was also... I had to look this up to make sure this was a word. I have been known to make up words every once in a while. He was parentally obedient. He's a dad. He was a parent, and he was obedient to the leading and the guiding and the directing of God through the angel to take Mary as his wife, which means he was taking Jesus as his son to raise, not biologically his offspring, but his son to raise. Joseph clearly understood what was expected of him, and he was ready to obey. He would take Mary to be his wife. He would suffer the cutting remarks of a child conceived prior to their wedding. He would obey in spite of the fact that this child of divine promise would be born under the cloud of adultery. But he did name his son Jesus as he was told to do. Joseph believed God, obeyed God, and accepted the responsibility that God had given to him. Mary, Mary, abstain from relations until the child is delivered. Be a husband. Be a father. Now, let me tell you just a little bit about his fatherhood because, again, there's not a lot. But if you look over in Luke chapter 2, you'll remember after Jesus is born, the eighth day was the time, according to the law, that you carried the baby to the temple to be circumcised. Luke 2.22 says, When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, a poor man's offering, could have been a lamb. But Joseph, demonstrating his righteousness, doing what was right by this child, obeyed the law, carried Jesus to the temple with Mary on the eighth day. We find later Luke chapter 2 verse 39, when they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was on him. And just look down in verse 41, after he went back to 
to, uh, when he was 12 years old. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. All I want to point out here is every time you see a description of Joseph in a parental role, he's being obedient to the law of the Lord. And he's engaged in this child's life. He is parentally raising this child as he should, recognizing that this child is unique. Jesus is fully human. Don't, don't ever forget that. He is also fully God. Having equality with God, not something to be grasped, he emptied himself. Taking on the likeness of sinful flesh, though he was not sinful, he was fully human in the flesh. We talked about that last week. We can go further into that. But can you imagine? I can't. Can you imagine what it would be like to be raising a child that did not have the sin nature of Adam and Eve? I remember when our kids were little. They would sometimes pitch hissy fits. You guys know what hissy fits are? And if dad was ever around, he'd say, that's just the Adam coming out of him. Or that's just the Eve coming out of him. He's mad and he's screaming, he's kicking his feet, he's hollering, he's those things, writing. Of course, our kids never did anything like that. Uh, Writhing on the ground or arguing or fighting, whatever. Oh, that's just Adam. That's just Eve. I can't imagine what it was like to be raising a human child with a divine nature instead of a sin nature. And yet Mary and Joseph, that was their job. And we have every indication in Scripture that he did it faithfully as a parent. Guys, can I just speak to you men for just a minute? Listen to me. In a world that belittles your role and seeks to redefine it, and in a culture that tends to be more critical and make jokes of fathers and dads and husbands than honoring and respecting them. You need to know that you matter. You matter in the kingdom of God. You matter in your family. You matter in your world. You've given a task, a role, and responsibility. Joseph didn't have to stay. He stayed, though the child was not his. He didn't have to continue in that relationship and love Mary. He chose to obediently remain faithful to her, having at least four, five more children after Christ was born. He stayed and he parented. You matter. You matter. Statistics often lie. I don't have a great deal of confidence in those who throw out random numbers to make their case, but I did come across the a statistic. I have no idea to its veracity. I'll let you be the judge of that. But it came from the head of a denomination that's not ours. We're a Southern Baptist church affiliated. We're Baptist. But this came from another Christian evangelical denomination. And here's what it says. It says the likelihood of, of, of a family being reached with the gospel. If a mother or wife becomes a Christian and starts going to church seeking to follow Christ the likelihood of the husband and children also becoming followers can be as much as 29 to 30%. So praise the Lord. But comparatively, when a father becomes a Christian and seeks to follow Christ and starts going to church, the likelihood of the wife and children also becoming followers of Christ increases to about 85 to 87%. I'm just going to tell you, I don't know how accurate that is. But from personal experience as a pastor and having been a pastor for a long time, you matter. You have an impact. 
You have an impact that God has given you that he doesn't give anybody else in anybody role, in, in any other role. It's up to you to be obedient. Joseph is our example, not only for consistent obedience, being just and righteous, but also for being parentally in, uh, obedient. He was there and he was engaged. What a great responsibility. By the way, part of being a man, you've got to be courageous, be strong and courageous. Joseph was courageously obedient. You remember when the wise men came and Herod and all of Jerusalem was kind of put on their, on their ear. What in the world's going on? Here comes this entourage from other countries seeking to honor a king. And they go back and they find out, oh, it's Christ. He's born in Bethlehem. And so let us know when. And they work out all of these arrangements. Herod seeking, wanting to know where Jesus is so he could put him out of Herod's misery. So he could kill him and do away with him. The wise men were warned of an angel. Not to go back to Herod, certainly not to report. They went home another way. But then the angel comes that night to, to Joseph in, in a dream. He says, Joseph, Herod's coming and he's coming to kill you. I'm going to paraphrase. <laughs> Herod's coming and he's coming to kill you. I need you to take Mary and Jesus and go to Egypt. Now, imagine this, if you will. Suppose the Lord were to speak to you and say, listen, your son's in danger. Your wife is in danger. This child I have entrusted to you is in danger. And though this is your home, and though having been betrothed, you have prepared this home and you have planned your life, it's in danger and you need to go to Egypt. Here, what if I told you you had to go to Mexico? You got to get out of the country where the, those who have political influence and the authority over the, over, uh, the police force and the armies can't reach you. You've got to go to Mexico or you've got to go to Canada, the next closest country. And you've got to go now. The shock, the surprise. He went to Egypt. It was a pretty good ways away. A typical family could travel about 20 miles in a day back then. And they were traveling over 100 miles. Egypt was a safe place for many of the Jews. There was a whole Jewish community there. But he took, it, he took his wife and this child. And he went to Egypt. But here's something else. When do I get to come back? What about the house? What about the job? What about, well, no, you have to stay there until I tell you it's okay. Can, can I just, I want you to be as amazed as I am at the level of trust that Joseph had in the Word of God and had in God himself. It's just amazing. When God tells him to do something, he does it because of his trust. Remain there till I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And the next verse, verse 14 of chapter 2 of Matthew. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. No delay. Let's go now. But again, God knew what he was doing. This was done to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I have called my son. Now, we don't know much about their time in Egypt other than the bare fact that they were there. Whole books have been written about it. And most of them are bunk them. Don't pay attention to them. But... We do know that when the Lord said it was time, when Herod had died, he was given to came back. He went courageously to obey the Lord to a place he did not know for a, a, a length of time he could not anticipate. He was courageous. But when Herod died, verse 19, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought out the child's life are dead. And he rose, he got up. And he took the child, he went, and, he, and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. 
Now when they came into Israel, he saw Archelaus was reigning in the south, so he went up to the north to the region of Galilee. It wasn't a direct route. It was kind of a roundabout, but he went to the region of Galilee to a town called Nazareth. He was consistently obedient, parentally obedient, courageously obedient. And I think here's the thing that gets me the most. He was immediately obedient every time. I heard a story the other day about a man and his wife who were cleaning out their attic. And they had been married for a long time, and they'd been in the same town for a long time. And the man came across a claim ticket at the local shoe shop where he had dropped off some shoes to be repaired 20 years before. And he thought, I wonder if those shoes are still there. Surely the shop is. Surely it can't do any harm to, uh, to check it out. It's not likely but it's worth a try. So he drove to the shoe repair shop with a straight face. He handed him a ticket, no expectations, but he handed him the ticket. And the man looked at the ticket and he said, wow, I don't know about this, but I'll go look for him. And sure enough, he hears, he's standing out the front. Time passes and he hears all this movement in the back. And the man comes back out and he says, hey, here they are. And of course, the owner of the ticket and the shoe says, that is terrific. Who'd have thought they'd be here after all that time? And the man reads the ticket and looks back up and says, I'll need you to come back on Thursday. They'll be ready on Thursday. (laughs) I want to make a statement and I want you to think about it. Delayed obedience is disobedience. True or false? Delayed obedience is disobedience. How many of you have heard, how many of you have heard your parents say to you, I'm going to count to three? Every child I know can count to three. Why? Because what we're looking for is immediate obedience. Can I tell you something about Joseph's life as we see revealed in Scripture? As soon as God told him to do He got up and obeyed. Joseph woke from sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. He rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, he immediately withdrew. He went to the district of Galilee. The scriptures are always filled with examples of delayed obedience or disobedience. But folks, the issue is always trusting God. Moses was a great example, wasn't he? Good and godly man. What did Moses say when God spoke to him out of the burning bush? Not me, Lord. He basically said, I don't want to do it. I can't do it. I can't even speak. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God got angry with Moses for the excuses that he was making. When God, when God called Gideon, I need you, Gideon, to deliver my people from the Midianites. What did, Midian, what did Gideon say? Uh, Not me. I'm from the smallest tribe, and I'm the least one in my tribe, and I'm certainly no soldier. And they're soldiers. Lord, not me. When God put his word in Jeremiah's mouth, Jeremiah, I need you to speak this to the people. What did Jeremiah say? Jeremiah chapter 1. I'm too young. Nobody's going to listen to me anyway. Excuse after excuse that ultimately led to obedience and usefulness. Maybe one of the reasons Joseph didn't have any lines 
is because he didn't give any excuses. When the Lord told him to do something, he got up and did it because of his trust in God. I have a lot of respect for this man. This man who filled a pivotal role in Scripture, an important role in Scripture. And my prayer for you is that, first of all, you will be immediately obedient. That you'll have a lifestyle of consistent obedience. That those of you who have children will be parentally obedient. And those of you who do not have children, God's bringing others into your life that you can fulfill that role. I pray that you will be uh, courageously obedient. That you will trust God and go into circumstances and situations which are naturally fearful, but through which God is faithful. And I pray most of all that you'll be obedient. That your answer to God will always be yes. Why? Because it matters for the glory of God and it matters for eternity. You know what disobedience and delayed obedience will do? It'll harden your heart. It will sear your conscience. And it will bring the discipline of a loving father on your life. And so may our default position to be to emulate, to imitate the attitude in the life of this silent man, Joseph, who speaks by his actions in trusting God in the day-to-day of life. Isn't God good? He is faithful and he's trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For your word and your truth, thank you for this man who filled a role that would be difficult to fill under any circumstances. And I pray, Father, that we will learn not only about your faithfulness and your goodness and the fact that you always know what you're doing, the fact that you always have a plan and a purpose that you're bringing to pass in the world. I pray, Father, that you will help us to recognize our role. You've got a task for us, a role and a responsibility. And I want to pray specifically for the men here today. Father, may we be men who are consistently following after you that our lifestyle of of righteousness and justness of seeking your face and knowing you is indeed just that a lifestyle it's not just an activity that we put on and take off as it's convenient for our own desires father i pray that we will be parentally or familially responsible that we will be fulfill the role that you have placed us in the lives that you've surrounded us with and that you have given to us father may we be courageously bold and obedient and may we be the pattern of obedience immediate obedience because we are enamored of you because we trust you because we rest in your faithfulness father be glorified in us in your name i pray amen